Hi there, welcome to Mosaic Intercultural Church, coming to you from London, Ontario, Canada. My name is Andrew Karam, and I'm the Executive Director and Pastor of Mosaic, and I want to welcome you to our sermon podcast. If you want to learn more about Mosaic, you can find us online at www.mosaicchurchlondon.com. Jesus Christ, and God is continuing this work and inviting others to experience this wonderful promise of life in Jesus Christ through us, his people today. Isaiah 25, verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This, uh, these verses talk about a particular mountain, and that mountain still exists today. Uh, back uh, in the ancient time, they would talk about the the hills that surrounded Jerusalem, and that the, the mountain of the Lord was built in Jerusalem, like was this mountain that Jerusalem was built on, because the city of Jerusalem is built on a hill, on a mountain. And at the pinnacle, like one of the highest points in the city of Jerusalem, as you can know if you Google pictures of Jerusalem, is the Temple Mount, the place where in Solomon's time, they built the temple to worship the Lord God who had brought his people out of Egypt. And that temple mount is a holy place today still. And that's the mountain that the prophet Isaiah has in mind when he writes that on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will do this amazing work. And what I love about this passage is that it talks about how what the Lord Almighty will do on this one mountain, this one spot on all the vast surface of the earth, will actually be for all the nations of the earth. What the Lord Almighty will do on that temple mountain, which is the temple of just the Jewish people at the time of Isaiah, what God will do among that specific people group, that family of clans, will be for all the nations of the earth. And so what happens in that one small place will affect all of humankind forever. That is what the promise is. And and what God promises to do on that mountain is, is... three things. One, he promises to prepare a beautiful feast. Two, he promises to to remove the shroud of death that covers all nations. And three, God promises to wipe away the tears from all faces and to remove the disgrace of his people from this earth. Amazing promises. One of the things I love about that picture of the feast is that it's not just a feast for, you know, only for the rich, right? 
Uh, it's not just a feast for the Jewish people. Like we've said, it's a, it's a feast for all peoples. And it's a feast of rich food, a feast of the best wine. In fact, it says it's a banquet of aged wine. And I don't know if you can think of that, right? Um, and, and I hope that this is a, is, a, is a healthy thing for you to imagine. Imagine a banquet table filled with bottles of the finest wine. The finest wine in all the world. Just a banquet of aged wines. Wines that have been so mature that when you taste them, all of the flavor notes just explode on your palate. And you think, this is the best wine ever. And then you have the next wine. And it's the best wine ever, better than the one before. And you have the next wine. And before you know it, as the scriptures say, God has gladdened your heart through the beautiful wine, the beautiful banquet of the finest aged wine that he has provided for you. What a crazy picture. What an amazing feast. The, the, the greatest rich food and the finest wine at this wonderful, wonderful feast. And of course, we know, right, that good food is not the only ingredient that makes a feast. My uh, family has been going through this classic, uh, classic uh, series of novels that became a famous trilogy of movies called The Lord of the Rings. And there's this really poignant scene in the third movie where there's this very authoritative, powerful ruler whose people are under attack. And he has the fanciest food available to him in all his kingdom. And he is sitting in his banquet hall, in, in, not his banquet hall, but in the, the, the hall where he rules. And he eats this food, fine food, delicious food, while people are dying outside. And it's one of the most heartbreaking scenes in the whole, in the whole uh, trilogy of the movies. This man, alone, eating fine food. See, the Lord's, um, the Lord's banquet that he prepares is not just about the food, the quality of the food, but about the quality of the community the quality of the, the people that are around, right? It's a feast for all nations, not for some on their own. A feast for all. And the food and the wine is there to, to enliven people's hearts, as the scriptures say, to make our hearts glad so there is rejoicing and so that there is singing and there is storytelling and there's uh, jokes and there's just laughter and laughter forever and ever in the presence of God. That's what God is promising to do on that mountain in Jerusalem. But in order for that feast that will satisfy all nations to happen, in order for life to be that abundant, something has to be removed. And that thing which needs to be removed is death. Because all the peoples of the earth are wrapped up in a shroud, the shroud of death, as the prophet says. Now, I thought about this today, and I thought, wow, what a poignant picture. To think about all of humanity as one body wrapped in one shroud, one long cloth, binding up that dead body of humanity so that it cannot move, so that it can be buried and put away. It's like saying, in fact, the scriptures teach this, that when we are born physically, we are born into death. All of us will face death. And even though in our society we don't see that reality day by day because we die in hospitals and we put dead bodies away into funeral homes, all of us, each one of us, is born into death. We are born into this dying body of humanity. 
All of humanity is wrapped in a shroud like a corpse. But God says that he will remove the shroud that covers all the nations. He will remove that sheet. You know the pictures on the, in the movies of bodies in a morgue, and the sheet is covering them. God's going to remove the death. He's, God's going to swallow up death forever. And I love that picture of swallowing up, right? What epic language. When, whenever you think about swallowing something, that thing is gone. It's not coming back. And you can think about all of the amazing uh, movie scenes again. I don't know why, like, the prophetic language is so vivid. It, 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 it reminds me of movies. And there's this particular funny image that came to my mind. Uh, have you seen the movie Shrek? Right, you guys know the movie Shrek? Right. Easter, got to talk about Shrek. I believe that at the end of Shrek, spoiler alert, it's an old movie, uh, the dragon actually swallows Lord Farquhar, the villain, whole. And he's gone, right? And this piddly little guy who has been tormenting the, the fairy tale creatures forever and ever and ever, uh, he's gone because he's been swallowed up. And that's a tiny little picture of the vast, infinite power of God, who is life itself, who will swallow up death forever for all peoples. God will swallow up death. So the death itself will no longer exist. And what that means is that all that will be left is life itself, the eternal life of God that cannot be overcome. Death itself will be defeated and disappear. What a powerful promise. But along with that, the Lord promises that he will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will wipe away the sorrow, the tears of sorrow, the tears of pain, the tears of suffering, the tears of longing, the tears of lamentation, the tears longing for, for justice, the tears longing for food, the tears longing for loved ones to be restored to us. All of the tears from all faces will be wiped away on the mountain of the Lord and that day of this great feast. And God will remove the disgrace of his peoples from all the earth. And I love that picture too, this idea that our disgrace, right, as humanity, our disgrace has actually filled the earth. Wherever we go, whether individually or whether as communities, there's always this sense of, man, we are a problem. We see that, I think, most clearly when we think about climate change and the impact of our industry and our lifestyles, particularly here in North America, the impact that we have had on the globe, and that how all of our drive to prove ourselves successful, to get luxury goods, to live comfortably on the land, has actually abused the earth. And so the earth is filled with our disgrace. So what a powerful promise to know that the living God will remove the disgrace of his peoples from all the earth. That instead of being disgraced, we, our lives will be transformed. We will live with dignity and honor. And when we look at one another, we will not, we will not compare ourselves and, look and condemn others who are different from us so that we feel better about ourselves. But instead, all peoples will live with the honor of God. What a powerful promise. And this was made hundreds of years before Jesus Christ walked the earth. And we celebrate at Easter time the fulfillment of that promise, right? That on that mountain, right by the city of Jerusalem, about 2,000 years ago, when Jesus Christ was crucified, God fulfilled all of these promises. By entering our death, Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully human, 
swallowed up death forever. Death could not hold him. We love singing that song here at Mosaic. Death could not hold him. The veil tore before him. He opened a way for us into the presence of God through his body. Because in Jesus Christ, God's eternal life is bound together with human life. Because the living word of God, the Son of God, is united with human nature and is fully God and fully human, when he gives himself to death, death can't hold him. Death itself has to be reversed. And so God does, in Jesus Christ, remove the shroud from all nations of the world by overturning death itself. He swallows up death forever in Jesus' death and resurrection. And when Jesus hung on the cross, he entered into our shame. Now what, does, what happens when the one who is infinitely glorious, who is beauty itself, when he gives himself freely to, 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 to be covered with our shame, what's going to happen to our shame? Our shame cannot overcome the infinite beauty, the infinite glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Instead, just like death is swallowed up, Jesus removes our shame by taking it on himself. And instead of his shame, or sorry, instead of our shame, he gives us back his glory, his beauty, his dignity. And when you think about what it takes to wipe away the tears of all faces, the suffering of all people, the longing of all people's hearts to satisfy our longing and to bring comfort to us, only the living God can do that. No human being can bring comfort to all nations of the earth if they are only a human being. It can only be the living God that can comfort all the peoples of the earth, take all the shame of all humanity away and overcome death itself. And that's what Jesus Christ, that's who he is and that's what he's done. And he's done that not by snapping his fingers and making all our pain go away, but by entering our pain, by entering our sorrow. The scriptures call him a man of sorrows, one who is familiar with suffering. And because he is the son of God, he knows the suffering of all humanity. I can't know your suffering and you can't know mine. Even though I share my story and even though you might be the most empathetic person in the world, you cannot taste my suffering as I do and I can't taste yours. But that's not a limit with our Lord Jesus Christ because he is the Son of God, eternal and infinite without limit. He knows our suffering intimately and he tastes all of our suffering with us and therefore he is able to comfort us because he has entered into it and he has been raised to life again and there is no sorrow in him anymore. He takes our sorrow and he replaces it with his joy. Hallelujah to God. And this is the story of all people throughout time when they trusted God in Jesus Christ. They said, God has set us free from the fear of death. God has removed our shame. God has removed our indignity and he has wiped away our tears. We have joy that the world cannot take away. We are at peace. We are free. You know, like Ashlyn's testimony, she was talking about how, um, how driven we can be to seek approval from other people, right? And so many of us identify with that. I know that in my own life, how strongly I desire other people's good opinions. And we all know how toxic that is. But because Jesus has taken away our indignity, he has taken away our shame, he has taken away 
the disgrace that we fear. He has set us free from the need to impress people and to live for their approval. He has set us free. He is the great liberator. And people throughout history have pointed to Jesus and said, in him, in Jesus Christ, is this great feast that we were promised. In Jesus Christ is the best wine. In Jesus Christ is the food that nourishes us for eternal life. In Jesus Christ is the drink, the living water that eternally bubbles up and refreshes us and keeps us going and gives us joy day by day. That's the testimony of people all around the world, all nations, all peoples. Now, rise up to say, this is our God, Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. He is truly in the flesh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who revealed himself especially to the Jewish people. He is the Lord of all the earth. This Jesus Christ who lived and died and rose again. Jesus Christ, he is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. He is our God. He is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice in his salvation. Let us be glad throughout all the world today. People from all tribes and tongues and nations are dancing the dance of the resurrection that we have just been dancing in our music because Jesus is alive, because Jesus has saved us from death, because Jesus has won the forgiveness of sins for us, because Jesus has removed our disgrace, because Jesus has wiped away our tears. So let us rejoice. And friends, God not only fulfilled that promise in Jesus, but he continues to extend this work, to extend this invitation to all people around us in our neighborhood, in our workplaces, in our homes. The same God that promised through the prophet Isaiah to do these amazing things, fulfilled the promise in Jesus Christ, and extends that promise and invitation to the world through you and me. Now we know, and Ashlyn talked about this in her testimony as well, we know that we can only give what we have received. That as human beings, we do not have anything intrinsic to ourselves to offer. We can only offer what we have received. There's a very well-known phrase in social work and in um, kind of count in the counseling world. It goes like this: hurt people, hurt people. Hurt people, hurt people. If you've been hurt as a human being, you will hurt others. If you were abused, you will likely, sadly, abuse others. We can only give what we've received. And we know this as Christians. We know this is true. We know that we pass on our sinful behavior to those around us. We know we pass on our sinful attitudes to those around us. And that burdens our hearts. I think as parents or as leaders in the community, we feel the burden of that very heavily. But praise be to God that in Jesus Christ, God defeated our sin. God broke the power of the abuse that we have experienced. God entered into our pain to turn it and to heal us by the power of Jesus Christ. And so instead of now saying, hurt people, hurt people, we get to look at each other and say, blessed people, bless people. Am I right? Blessed people, bless people. That's right. Living people give people life, right? 
Dead people can't make each other alive, but people who are alive can offer life to other people. We have received life in Jesus Christ. We have received blessing in Jesus Christ, so we offer life. We offer blessing to others. People who have received honor give honor. Amen? People who have received grace and forgiveness give grace and forgiveness. People who have been filled with hope, who have received hope, give hope to people who need hope. We can only give what we have received. And so, friends, we have received life, hope, blessing, forgiveness of sins, grace, dignity, strength, honor in Jesus Christ. Let us pass these gifts on to those around us. Let us give what we have received. And let us be generous with the good news of Jesus Christ. Because it is not, uh, you know how it is, right? You can kind of like, be a nice person and people think you're nice. You're like, okay, good. That's good. I'm glad you think I'm nice. And you're like, that's not really the point. We pass on blessing. We pass on life to others so that they can experience the source of life themselves. And so we need to be generous with the story of Jesus because we have received the story of Jesus ourselves. We have received the proclamation of the good news ourselves. We have built our lives, as Corey said, on the cornerstone of Jesus. Why? So that other people can enter his life with us and experience the power of his promise, the power of his presence with us today in our neighborhood, in Northeast London, in our workplaces, in our homes, and in our networks. That is a joy. It is a celebration. There is a feast here, a feast ahead of us that we are looking forward to. And what we're doing now when we come to the table here where we have these very, very, very simple but beautiful gifts given to us by God. These remind us of the promise of God, that Jesus Christ is the feast. His body is the bread of the feast. His blood is the wine of the feast, the wine that brings gladness to our hearts because it is the forgiveness of sins. His blood, the forgiveness of sins. His body, broken for us. And as we are filled with His life, so we give our lives so that others might know Him and be nourished by Him and find eternal life in Him as well. So why don't we take just a moment of quiet as before we come to the table, and then we will share communion together. Lord, in this time of quiet, Would you continue to open up our hearts and minds to experience you? Where we still live under the power of death, the power of, of our pain, the power of our disgrace and shame because of our sin. Lord Jesus, would you communicate to us the power of your cross, the power of your death and resurrection. And Lord, where we are burdened, for people who do not yet know the good news of your salvation. Lord, give us grace and faith to share the, your good news with them. And for those, Lord, who have not yet believed in you, Jesus, in your mercy, would you speak to them and would you grant them faith to respond and to follow you into eternal life.
You have been listening to a sermon podcast from Mosaic Intercultural Church in London, Ontario, Canada. My name is Andrew Karam, and I want to thank you for joining us. If you want to find out more about Mosaic and about the work that we do, please check us out online at www.mosaicchurchlondon.com. Thank you.